Welcome to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, where not quite fitting into the religious status quo is a good thing. Slick church trends deceive us. Denominational traditions can blind us. But truth from the heart of God always transforms us. And now, here's our host, a self-proclaimed ministry maverick and church misfit, Jeff Lyle. I don't know where you are listening to today's episode, but um, here in Metro Atlanta and Georgia, southern southeastern part of the United States, I am um, I am experiencing the beauty of the new fall season. I, I love fall, and uh, at the time of the recording, we have transitioned fully from summer, moving into uh, at least Georgia's version of the autumn season. And um, I love autumn. I love spring. I do pretty good in summer can't stand winter so I always try to soak up autumn because I know what's coming after autumn which is winter which is my least favorite season so um, I'm just enjoying it love seeing the leaves change colors love seeing it fall love the fact that uh, or seeing the leaves fall Uh, I love the fact that it's still sunny and yet it's crisp in the air I'm just I don't know just a happy dude and I hope wherever you are my fellow dudes and dudettes that y'all are happy too Uh, welcome back to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast I'm gonna go um, into a, a different place, just where my heart's pulsing, where I regularly find myself um, personally in my own journey with Jesus, um, seeking, hungering, longing for an authentic manifestation of revival. Uh, I was saved in 1994, and immediately after my salvation, our church began to um, put in their little paper bulletin that they handed out at the front door an announcement about revival meeting, revival meeting. And over the years at uh, Meadow Baptist Church back in the 90s, I found out that uh, revival was when we set aside five, three to five days on the calendar. We bring in all the pastor's buddies to come in and preach. And, um, you know, they, they come and challenge us in our walk with God. And that was revival. And never forget when I had a good friend in England many, many years later when I announced, I was pastor by then, and I announced we were having revival. And he was, uh, he is a Calvinist over an elder in England. And he wrote me and he said, um, How do you know if revival's coming? How, how do you calendar a revival? Isn't revival the sovereign work of a holy God? And it was then that I started realizing. I don't know anything about revival, and that was not too terribly long ago, back in 2002. And so really shortly after that season, I began to, um, at the um, admonition of my friend in England, I began to ask myself, yeah, what what is the revival? And so I began to look at it biblically. I began to read about it historically. And um, there's a lot I don't know about revival still to this day, but the one thing I know revival is not is a calendared meeting at a church for three to five days where you bring in your friends to preach and um, experience the woohoos of, um, you know, emotionalism. That's, that's not revival. The tent out in the front yard is not revival. The sawdust campground meetings, the knee slapping music is not revival. Uh, Revival is a sovereignly initiated move of God, which often comes in response to the heartfelt cries and longings of his children in a particular area for his presence and his power to manifest. It's basically God manifesting his presence and his power in a certain place to a particular people. And when that happens, um, it can be biblically defined as revival. And um, I've had the privilege of um, taking part in revival seasons, experiencing the increased presence and power of God. 
moves of the Holy Spirit, uh, large numbers of salvations and restorations and deliverances. Um, and to this very day, um, I think one of the greatest treasures in my current season of ministry is being able to connect with the people at the North Georgia Revival at Christ Fellowship Church in Dawsonville, Georgia, uh, where Todd Smith and Marty Derricott lead a team, along with Pastor Karen Smith, Todd's wife, and uh, just the incredible team of servants they have up there. And for over three years, they have been experiencing one of the most unusual moves of God that this region has ever seen. And um, I don't, I, I want to do a full podcast episode on that, maybe even get uh, Pastor Todd to come and, and just share with us, um, this audience, the Mavericks and Misfits audience, the, the story behind the revival, because it's remarkable. Um, I have witnessed with my own eyes a 16-year-old boy get up out of a re- wheelchair who had been in a wheelchair for about four to six months because of an adverse reaction to um, a vaccine shot that he got, and it affected his central nervous system. And at 16 years old, he was confined to a wheelchair. And I watched him get up and run, like literally want run. I watched him push the wheelchair out of the church when he left that night. And I saw him the next night at a prayer meeting with no wheelchair standing up with still uh, just an awestruck look in his eyes that he had experienced a miracle. And they have many miracles there um, that are documented, medically documented miracles. And so um, I have no hesitation whatsoever to, to just declare, yeah, that's a revival. That's an actual God-sent revival. And it's sustained through the ministry of prayer, through consecration, through honoring the presence of God, through Pastor Todd and Pastor Karen's commitments to keep their um, own personal glory suppressed when people try to glorify or promote them. Uh, they walk in the fear of the Lord and they say, nope, this is not about us and it's not about um, our church. It's about what God has chosen to do and the amount of honor that goes on in from that house has just provided a very beautiful place for God to release revival. Um, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. There's a deep longing in my heart that um, that what is happening in Dawsonville, that we wouldn't have to drive to Dawsonville to experience because I actually don't believe it's the will of the Father for um, just Dawsonville to experience revival or just uh, the team at Christ Fellowship Church or just um, Dawson County or North Georgia. I believe that the eyes of the Lord are still running to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of the heart of those whose, or behalf of those whose heart is upright towards him. Uh, that's that Old Testament a teaching that God himself said, the eyes of the Lord are run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is upright in them. And so that can be me and that can be you. And so I guess I want to just walk with you today and ask yourself just a couple of things. Are you, are you okay with just going to church? Are you okay with just, you know, doing your daily quiet time? Are you okay with just, you know, walking a moral line where, you know, you're not getting drunk, you're not fornicating, you're not cursing out people, um, you pay your taxes and you tithe? Is, is that really what Jesus died for? Because all that stuff's good. Listen, I'm not downplaying that. But is that it? Is that all that Jesus died for? Or did he die so that his glory, the resurrection glory, the glory of Jesus Christ, the glory of God the Father, the glory from the Holy Spirit might be put on display to an unbelieving world shrouded and trapped in darkness whose minds have been blinded by the wicked one. 
because somehow in the evangelical church, um, we've settled two, two, three generations in America have settled for just going to church, being moral, you know, voting conservative. That's what a lot of them think is the best expression of their Christianity. They vote Republican. Um, and please don't send me emails on that stuff. I'm an equal opportunity offender. If you listen long enough, I'll offend Democrats and Republicans alike. I happen to be an independent. I'm not a registered Democrat or a registered Republican. I vote my conscience in case you care. Um, but when Christianity gets boiled down to, you know, political conservatism or social engagement or, you know, modifi- modifying our behavior to be our version of moral, that's not what Jesus died for. Uh, you attending church is not the sum total of what Jesus died for. You reading your Bible 15 minutes a day or reading it through in a year is not quite up to the level for which Jesus holds ex- expectation for his disciples. You know, at the end of the age, two things are going to be clear before the second coming. It's going to be clear who the disciples of Jesus Christ are and who the disciples of darkness are. Uh, there, there's going to be no muddied waters. It's going to be clear because the true disciples of Jesus Christ will pay for their faith as the end of the age approaches. It's going to cost us dearly. And so from that purified remnant, because all the posers, all the pseudo-Christians, all the cultural Christians, all the people who don't mind showing up on church on Sundays but aren't about to die to themselves, when, when the fire of persecution hits the church in the West, in America, really globally, but I'm thinking about the American church, when persecution actually starts happening to the church in America, um, you're going to find out real quick who's a devoted follower of Jesus versus who's just a cultural identity Christian. Um, because the cultural identity of being a Christian is not going to withstand the fires of persecution. Those people will bail in a heartbeat, proving they were never truly born again. And so when the church gets purified through persecution, through the fires, through the work of the Holy Spirit, um, there's going to be an amped up level of holiness, which will produce an amped up level of power from the Holy Spirit because the church will be purified and convinced and unalloyed. And so revival's coming. I want you to mark that down. This podcast will probably, the recording of it anyway, will outlast my life if you know digital media is still around in another 30 or 40 years. And I want to tell you, if revival hasn't happened by the time 30 or 40 years from the year 2021 when I'm recording this, if it hasn't happened then, please, Christians, whoever might be listening to this, it will come. It will absolutely come. God will not allow the world to leap into the lap of the wicked one and God not actually put his glory on display. Uh, The serpent is crushed. The demonic realm has an expiration date. And the church of the living God will endure forever and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. So revival is going to come, but it's going to come through a purified church. And listen, I think all Christians would vote yes uh, for a revival to break out. All of us want to see powerful conversions from spiritual death and people move into eternal life. We, Every single Christian wants to witness an awakening that needs to sweep across you know, th- this dull and dusty church in the United States of America. Guys, I believe in healings and miracles like right now, but I'll be honest with you, I don't see nearly enough of either one of these beautiful manifestations, miracles, healings. I don't see those manifestations of the power of God in my own life as much as I want to, nor in the churches that I'm associated with. 
But when revival comes, I mean, who among us would not want to operate in a daily uninterrupted flow of Holy Spirit power that sets people free from their strongholds or from demonic oppression? You know, revival was going to result in a mass repentance in the church. So Christians will be forsaking all in order to commit to, to take the gospel to the farthest and darkest places on planet Earth. So who, who's going to vote against that? We all want that, right? If you're saved, you want that. You may not know how to take part in it, but you want that. We all want to see the glory of God cover the, the earth like the waters. I mean, everybody wants to see Jesus's name vindicated. And we want to see the unbelieving, gospel-opposing, church-persecuting enemies of Christ put down. We want to see that. And so we all desire a revival. All Christians desire a revival. But listen, true revival is not cheap. That's my whole message today, I think. True revival is not cheap. So I can want revival. I can wish for a revival, but that's a far distance away from believing and contending for revival. Most Christians wish for a revival. Yeah, I wish that would happen somewhere. That'd be awesome. Maybe it'll trickle down my way. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people that are contending for revival and positioning themselves for it. So what does it look like for you to position yourself for a revival? Um, because if true revival is not cheap, we've got to come to terms with that. Frankly, friends, I'm, I'm concerned that we do think it's cheap. I think that the kind of revival that we really want, we think it's going to come cheaply and it can't. Because, hear me, the kind of revival that we all long for is not going to fall upon the casual Christian. It's not going to com- come to a compromised big C church. It's not going to come to apathetic local churches. So we won't be able to taste the fruit of revival until we tap into the root of revival because the fruit comes from the root. So for a little while, I've been, I've been thinking about what, what does it require of me to experience the elevated fire of God in my own life? And like I said earlier, I've experienced some of it, but I'm, I'm not seeing it unbroken. I'm seeing it intermittent. I see it flicker, but I don't see it sustained. And I'm just, I'm, I'm so hungry for it to be sustained. Um, I think that I've received a few things from the Lord over the years that'll help me position myself to experience revival in my own soul. And so today I'm just simply leaving these thoughts with you for you to consider for your own life. I think if we can get our hearts wrapped around these things, it will help our churches and our ministries and our um, you know missions organizations. They'll they'll be able to facilitate true revival. Um, I I want it deeply, but I recognize it's not going to come to any of us who are prematurely satisfied with the status quo. And so we've got to build our hunger for revival before we taste of it. God's not going to allow us to taste it until we're truly hungry for it. He's not going to serve up something as beautiful and precious and costly as true Holy Spirit revival to people who can live without it if they want to. Yeah, I'll take it if it comes, but it's no big deal. Well, you'll never experience it. And if I have that attitude, neither will I. So let me just give you a few things, okay? Um, You can listen. You can write them down. You can do whatever you want to do. You're a big boy and a big girl. so. So to position ourselves for a revival, I think we can begin with these few things I'm going to give you. Here's the first one. We have to know what God actually offers. Like to position yourself for revival, you've got to know what God is actually offering. 
understand biblically what he has offered to his people, what he's promised to his people, but also what he requires from his people. Like, what has God demanded from you? If you don't know what he's required of you and what he's demanded of you, then you're probably disconnected from what he's promised you and what he's offering you. Because revival is linked forever to the desires of God. You've got to remember that. Revival is linked forever to the desires of God. And we're going to find those desires in all of these things, what he's promised, what he's required, what he's offered. We're going to find all of these things in the written word, in the Bible. So apart from a renaissance of commitment to the written word of God, revival can't happen in this season. It just can't. To all my charismatic friends, I'm a charismatic, I'm one of you. Uh, I apologize if you feel like deflated because the first thing I mentioned is that we have to be biblical. We have to, we have to walk in, an, in a biblical framework. And if you, if you don't want to bring your Bible into the revival season, you'll never get into the revival season because it's connected to the promises and the requirements that are revealed in the written word. So a return to the word is required. That's the first thing. It's not for the hearers only. Remember that. But it's for the doers of the word. That's where the power of God comes. Not to the hearers of the word. Not for those that nod at their Bible, but for those who eat it. So that's the first thing. So the second thing, when we're talking about positioning yourself for revival, as an individual Christian, you need to do a spiritual inventory. Like, Quit thinking about revival out there. Start thinking about revival within you. Do a spiritual inventory. What does that mean? Assess where you are personally. Especially assess where you are personally in comparison to what the first point reveals. The promises of God. The requirements of God. The offerings of God. The prohibitions of God. What he reveals in his word. Where are you personally in comparison to what the Bible is revealing Measure the distance between that and where you currently are. So if you're not walking with the Lord, if you're intermittently indulging sin that you've learned to manage and tolerate in your life, but you're praying for a revival, hey man, come on, let's be in, let's be intellectually honest here. You know God's not going to bless that. And so we can't pretend to be in a better place than when we're, we actually are spiritually. So you got to do a spiritual inventory. No, no matter how consecrated or committed or convicted I am in my walk with God, there's going to be a gap between all that he offers and all that I'm living in. There's always a gap between all that God is and all that you are. There's always going to be a gap, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a spiritual inventory that openly, honestly says, Father, here I am. I know in some way I'm living beneath what you desire for me and all that you offer me. Please meet me where I'm living and bring me into a deeper fullness with you. So it's that honesty that comes from a spiritual inventory that helps position you from revival. It doesn't end there, but that's got to be a part of it. You've got to recognize, I mean, speaking plainly, you got to come to a place to say, man, I need revival. My church needs revival. My city needs revival. My region needs revival. My nation needs revival. And so we can't go on tolerating the stuff that we're allowing in our individual lives, our family lives, our church lives, our city lives, we, we can't tolerate that stuff and still expect for the Lord to give us the preciousness of breakthrough Holy Spirit revival. Here's the third thing. After you do the inventory between where you are and you know what, um, what you see that God offers and what God requires, here's the third thing. It's very unpopular. Humble yourself and then mourn. You heard me. Humble yourself and mourn. 
like literally let the weight of the distance between number one and number two impact you in the deepest way. I mean, seriously, grieve over the distance between what God desires and what you've settled for. Grieve over that. Acknowledge that gap between those two things to be real. Acknowledge it to be in an urgent need of remedy and allow yourself to feel the distance between you and him. You, you can't experience revival without mourning. Blessed are those who mourn. Because revival is going to come to those who grieve over the current status of their hearts and the collective heart of the church. So apart from the discomfort of mourning over our ways, revival, revival is going to continue to tarry. It's not going to come until we enter into a mourning and an honest repentance before the Lord. And then when you're mourning, don't just stay sad. Don't just stay grieved. To move in that grief and cry out in prayer. That's the fourth one. So position yourself for a revival. Know what God's actually offering. Number two, do a spiritual inventory. Number three, humble yourself and mourn. Number four, cry out in prayer. Seriously, confess where you have fallen short. Confess it for yourself. Confess it for your family. Confess for your church and your community or your your tribe, you know, where, whoever you're running with. I mean, good night. Confess it for your nation. And then intentionally align yourself with his heart and declare the transgression. So cry out in prayer. Come to agreement with God that this can't continue. I mean, I think God is, read the first nine verses of Psalm 107. And I mean, he's waiting for your cry until your heart is emptied of grief over falling short. And until your heart's eager to be raised anew in hope and assurance and some form of like sober-minded alignment with what he wants to do. And so when you begin to cry out in prayer, you are literally beginning to um, stir the atmosphere, so to speak. So it's not just about feeling terrible about where you've fallen short. It's about, okay, God, you know where I am. I know where I am. I come into agreement with you. God, help me and help those around me. And Lord, we're pressing in. And then you have to do the fifth thing, which is believe in God's grace. Because up to this point, it's all been bad news. God, you're great. You're awesome. We've fallen short. We've been apathetic. We've been compromised. We've been indulging sin. We've been tolerating. We've been uh, trying to get revival on the cheap. And that's just like really humbling and breaking. But then you have to believe in God's grace. What does that mean? That means like you have to trust that God's going to honor your mourning and you're crying out to him. He's going to honor that. Believe that he's pleased with your repentance. Trust that he's going to powerfully move on your behalf within the space in your heart that you've now newly created. And listen, go ahead and anticipate change to come within you and then through you. Believe that God's grace will do that. And I think for me, by this step, by believing in God's grace, this is where you do the most heavy lifting when you position yourself for revival because the devil fights our repentance and confession more than anything else in this list. He lies to us. He says, I, listen, it's not that bad. Quit listening to Jeff Lyle's podcast. He's a, he's a radical. You're a better Christian than most people. Jeff's just over the top and Hey, good things are happening at your church. Why don't you just be satisfied? Quit thinking like a fanatic. That's what the devil says. And people that buy into that are never going to be catalysts for a revival. So don't listen to the enemy. Let, let your own assignment be gained from God's exalted perspective, not the devil's wicked point of view. You, you need not fear an honest assessment because God's grace is going to meet you wherever you are, no matter how far you've drifted from him.
So don't be afraid of an honest assessment. You've got to trust that where sin or apathy or failure or neglect is abounded, God's grace abounds higher. So his grace is there if you will turn and press into it. All right, just two more. Okay, here's the sixth one. Positioning yourself for revival. Here's the sixth one. Commit to a new way. What does that mean? Well, start listening to the many ways through which God's going to begin to freshly speak to you. How do I know that he's going to speak to you? Because you've repented. Because you've turned. Because you've humbled yourself. He dwells with those of a contrite heart. And so when you live in an attitude of continual repentance, yeah, on a radical level, absolutely. God's going to reveal continually obstacles or practices or even relationships, false belief patterns that have previously hindered revival in your own life. He's going to show you what's been in the way. Guys, let me, can I be bold here? Some of you are set up beautifully for a revival, but you're compromised in your relationships. You're running with people that are not running in the direction of Jesus. Or they're not making a beeline to them. They're getting distracted. They're meandering their way towards Christ. That's not for people for a revival. And so if you're tethered, if you're attached to people who are not running hard after Jesus, I promise you, more than likely, you're going to slow down to their pace. You're going to start walking their direction. And so some of you are going to have to break off relationships that aren't, they're not undergirding God's work and bringing you into a deeper revelation of him. They're actually hindering it. If you're hanging out with people that are compromised, that are like literally um, living a double-minded life, in and out of sin, making allowance for sin, calling it grace, that's the you know one of the new moves is I can sin all I want, I can get drunk, I can sleep around because God knows my heart and Jesus' blood has covered it all and God's not interested in how I live, which is just, it's not even original. That's been around since the writing of the New Testament. Paul addresses it in Romans 6 and um, Book of Galatians and... Guys, we, we just got to come to the place where we realize these obstacles are here, so you have to commit. You have to commit. You don't have to think about a new way. You have to commit to it. It means you have to break off from things that have been hindering you. So listen, commit to obey everything that he's revealing to you. Do the right thing, no matter what the cost is. Do the right thing. And seek the face of God in everything. And reorient yourself away from the world and unto King Jesus. Because that's where revival comes from. So here's the last one. So when I'm thinking about positioning myself for revival, again, it starts out by me understanding what God is actually offering, which is amazing what he's offering. But then I got to do a spiritual inventory and figure out how far away am I from what God has offered and required of me. And then when I assess that gap, I got to humble myself. I got to mourn over the distance between where I am and what, what God says is the place in the life that he can entrust revival to. And then I cry out in prayer and then hallelujah, I'm going to believe in his grace. And when I believe in his grace, I'm empowered to commit to a new way because I'm not living in shame. I'm not living in regret. I'm not living in guilt because I haven't measured up in previous months or years. I'm living free because I have trusted in the grace that restores me to hear his voice again. And then the last thing is that, okay, you just keep abiding in this new revelation. What does that mean? Well, you don't budge from this new way that you've chosen. You don't allow anybody to talk you out of it. You don't, you don't, you're not going to try to control others 
to do now as you have done. They're, you know, they're on their journey. You're not trying to manipulate people to, hey, look at me, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. No, you just don't let them talk you out of it. You welcome God to deal with other people as you're breaking off relationships, as you're separating yourself, as you're moving into high levels of consecration, a radical fellowship of Jesus. You pray for those people that you're having to live, live behind, but you cannot let anybody talk you out of it. And so you got to deny yourself. you got to carry your cross. You have to die to lesser loyalties. What does that look like? Well, sometimes it's just like the basics. It's foundational stuff at a new level. So you're praying. You're fasting. You've got to gorge on the written word. I just feel that. I feel the pulse of that right now, that there's a generation that's so lazy. They're bored with the Bible because they're chasing, you know, supernatural manifestations all the time because that's a cheap, that's like revival, you know, on the cheap. It's superficial revival. If we just chase signs and wonders and experiences and we have a Holy Ghost moment, you know, presumably. And, and that's not revival, guys. That's like getting your hit. That's like cheapening the work of God. So you got to bring the word with you. You got to live the word. You got to share the word. You got to be in the word. The word's got to be circulating in you. And you got to worship <laughs> fervently, frequently. You know, find a new tribe. Pursue deep fellowship with others who are burning for him. Like it does matter who you run with. It straight up matters who you run with. Some of you are just listen. I don't even know who you are right now. I'm not talking directly to you, but I think the Lord is. So some of you are running with the wrong people and you're never going to experience what God has for you because you are letting people hold you back that you know in your heart of hearts have, have become dull to the voice of God, that holiness doesn't matter, love doesn't matter, righteousness and sanctification doesn't matter, that God is the, to them the God of the party and he's not the Holy Spirit. He's the cool spirit. He's the happy spirit. He's the, wow, look at that spirit. But he's not the Holy Spirit to them. Guys, that's not your tribe. Not if you want revival. It's not. And you got to wage war in the spirit against the evil one. Like you have to deny your flesh. You have to crucify your flesh. You have to fight in the spirit and advance the gospel, the message of Jesus. And guys, you got to, in this, as you abide in this new revelation, you got to love without reservation. That means you got to forgive everybody. You know, a lot of a lot of offers of revival die right there because people can't forgive. They can, but they feel like they can't. And so God can't give revival to a bitter soul. He's, he just can't. He can love that person. He can shepherd that person. He can discipline that person, but he can't work revival through that person because he doesn't entrust the fruits of revival, the beauty of revival to people who haven't obeyed the commandment to forgive. So I'm looking at... I'm looking at the clock and say so my time's gone. But let me just say this. When, when we're thinking about revival, it's going to come. But you have to position yourself to experience it. And I think if some of you will position yourself to experience it, you're not only going to experience it, you're going to be the one through whom God brings it to other people. Like seriously, he might set your church on fire through you. He might set your neighborhood, your school on fire through you. He might set your tribe, your peer group that's currently compromised. You might be the catalyst that he sends in there burning like a John the Baptist. And the fire that's on you illuminates what's going on in their lives and they repent. That can actually be you. So I'm committed to, you know, personally living out these principles I've listed. I'm not, I haven't perfected it. I'm committing to live these out. 
And because of that, I'm assured that revival is going to continue to build in my own life. I believe that. I think I'm experiencing some of it. But I know what he's offered. And none of us are walking in the fullness of what God's offered. And I think it's going to come and be built in my own life. Revival. But also think it's going to burst forth from my life. I'm, I want to relentlessly lead whoever I can to walk in this way with me. And so we're all hungry for it, right? We're all hungry for revival. And I'm just saying we need to remain fixated on God's release of it to us until it actually does come. And I'll just go on record and say I believe we're close. I think we're getting there. So I hope you've been stirred. I hope you'll really give consideration to what I've shared today. I hope you'll position yourself for revival. Um, God's not, you know, we're not waiting on God. God's waiting on us. So Christians, prepare yourself. Get your life straight. Separate from what you need to separate from. Commit and cleave to what you need to cleave to. Get back in the word of God. If your church doesn't preach the word of God, I'm, I'm being serious about this. If your church does not prioritize the written riches of the word of God, you're in the wrong church. You are. Because the word of the Lord endures forever. Jesus prayed in John 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus said, set my people apart, Father, by truth. Your word is truth. And ministries and churches that don't prioritize the written word or they're, they're becoming immune to the offer of revival because you've got to have truth and spirit, spirit and truth. So these are days of decision and days of change, and I hope you'll consider what I've said, and I will talk to you next time on Mavericks and Misfits. Have you gotten a copy of Jeff's book? His autobiography, titled Figuring It Out As I Go, shares Jeff's journey from being abandoned at childhood to journeying through the maze of addiction as a teen and young adult into his supernatural deliverance at the age of 24 and then into the fascinating pilgrimage into the depths of the Holy Spirit. Order your copy today at jefflyle.com or anywhere online where you buy books. You can also hear Jeff narrate the book by ordering an audio copy of Figuring It Out As I Go at audible.com.